0: Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Well, is this on? No? Well, you uh, made it through the first day. Congratulations. Are we having fun? I don't know. <laughs> Let me just uh, ask a, a quick uh, check barometer uh, room uh, room weather. How many people were sleepy today? Look around. Ah, oh, you got some company, okay. How many people uh, had moments of restlessness? Look around. Uh, how about uh, aches in the body look around yeah yeah and um, busy mind <laughs> yeah. you're doing great you're right on schedule if you didn't have any of those don't worry there's hope for you yet but the first day of a retreat is uh, is not usually an easy experience. For some people, and you might have had moments where you say, wow, this is so wonderful, no responsibilities, and I'm starting to just connect with myself. So I, I don't want to uh, underestimate or discount those because they really are um, quite inspiring. But the beginning of a retreat, there is this kind of detox period where you're uh, fasting from stimulation and activity and engagement and you're doing something quite radical instead of being outwardly focused and so engaged in dealing with the world, which is not an easy thing to deal with, um, we're turning our awareness inside and connecting with ourselves. And that uh, is a big adjustment. Also, just moving from the fast lane to the slow lane uh, is also a, an adjustment. But here you're told: okay, sit still for 30 or 45 minutes, as still is, uh, as is uh, workable for you. Walk in a very uh, focused way. Eat mindfully. We haven't talked about mindful eating so much yet, but we will. But the idea is to be present for our food. Um, Whatever you do, try to be present for it. Now, you'll be sleeping in a bed that you haven't been in before, maybe with a roommate, and you look at that schedule, and you see... Sitting, walking, sitting, walking, sitting, walking. Where's the entertainment? You know. But this is it, by the way. You know. <laughs> this and lunchtime and I hope it's more than entertainment. Um, and there can be this sense of, of um, um, confinement Um, that you don't have as much freedom or control as we normally do in our life. And so a common response these first few days, especially with the sleepiness and the restlessness, um, is resistance. And the big question, um, what am I doing here? Or it's variation what was I thinking when I signed up for this? Of course, it helps if you've done a number of retreats before, and I want to just let those who are new know that even if you've been doing this for many years, you still go through all of those things. The things that, uh, that that makes it easier is that you know that that's part of the process. So there's a lot more patience, Um, A lot more uh, sense that there's a value to this even if it might be might not be so apparent uh, to some of you right now so the beginning of the retreat uh, and I give myself two or three days really to land I'm doing it I'm there but as far as really coming in and connecting in a a full way, uh, takes a little time. And so the the beginning is about patience and allowing and just showing up as best you can. I wanted tonight to um, offer a teaching from the the classical uh, Buddhist teachings um, that, um, I find helpful to understand the process of what we're doing here. And uh, that is the teaching on uh, the five spiritual faculties it's called. And if you are not familiar with uh, Buddhist philosophy, uh, then um, you should know there are many, many lists in this teaching. If you like lists, you've come to the right place. Uh, but I also want you to know if you are um, also new to this body of teachings that you are you don't have to be a Buddhist you don't have to take on any new uh, ideology uh, this is uh, just offered in a spirit of, of inquiry and uh, the 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 particular teaching that hooked me when I was first getting into this stuff many years ago um, was uh, the teaching that the Buddha gave to uh, the Kalamas, who were these villagers. And he went through the village and he, and, uh, he said, I want to share with you what I've seen to be uh, the truth of um, of suffering and the end of suffering. and these villagers said you know we have so many different teachers coming in here saying they've got the truth and they're all saying their own variations and now you're saying you have the truth it's confusing who who should we believe you know it it really creates a lot of doubt because people are saying different things and the buddha says in this very famous passage he says it's really fitting it's understandable that you would doubt with so many different uh, presentations of the truth and then he says not by any words from an authority or any teacher who's uh, um, who has uh, great renown uh, not by uh, things that you've read or that others have told you uh, not by uh, your own views that you prefer even and certainly Uh, not because I say I have the truth, but he says, when you look for yourselves and see, oh, these things lead to suffering, if you don't want to suffer, then don't follow them. And when you know for yourselves, these things lead to happiness and well-being, if you have put them to, um, to the test, of a direct experience and in inquiry, then then follow them, Columbus. In the chants, there's a, a famous passage, Ehipasiko, Opanayako. He said, Ehipasiko, come and see for yourself. These teachings are open, inviting for anyone to come and see for themselves. So, whatever I share as the Buddha advised, see if it's true for you, and if it's not, then uh, then wait until you see for yourself what is true. But don't dismiss out of hand because you don't want to take on some kind of belief system. Put it to direct experience and inquiry. So this list, the five spiritual faculties, and these are qualities that um, are not just um, not just talked about in this tradition, but in, in many traditions. but it's a really good way to understand the, the meditation process itself. The, the five, so you're not in suspense throughout the, the talk, are um, faith, effort, or energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom and there is a couple of different ways to understand this list one is as a few lists are um, a depiction of how uh, we need to balance different qualities it's all um, a question of balance as the Moody Blues had in one of their great albums a question it's a great album a question of balance it's all a question of balance mindfulness is the balancing factor and one way to look at this list is faith needs to be balanced with wisdom if there is too much faith it's blind faith if there's too much Wisdom in the sense of an investigation and an inquiry without a kind of heart quality, then uh, it becomes very cerebral and it's not an, a lived embodied experience. Energy and effort needs to be balanced with concentration if there's too much energy and not enough stillness of mind, we get restless and agitated if there's too much concentration and stilling of mind without a kind of bright wakefulness and energy, it becomes very dull and leads to sleepiness. So we're balancing these factors. It's one way to, to see these different qualities. Another way to understand this list, which is how I'll present it, is in a more sequential order just to show you how the practice unfolds. Mm. One thing leading to the next, and to the next, and to the next. And it, of course, it's not so neat and simple. Oh, you develop one, and then you move to the next, and then you develop that, and then it's, it's a kind of uh, interdependent um, uh, unfolding, but there's a logic to understanding it in the sequences. I hope you will see. So the first factor—it's often translated as faith, but um, the word in Pali is sadha. Pali is the language of that the Buddhist teachings have come down in. Sadha, saddha, s-a-d-d-h-a, saddha, which literally means to put one's heart. Into something, to put one's heart upon something. There's a heartfulness that is required in doing this practice. And although it's usually translated as faith, it's also translated uh, as trust, conviction, confidence sense that you are moved to show up to do this uh, strange exercise. And it there are different levels of this sadha. Uh, and if the word faith triggers off reactions from your childhood, whatever you, uh, uh, faith or spiritual tradition you were brought up in, then um, Remember to just uh, turn it into trust and confidence, which is a, trust is a beautiful word, and confidence, growing confidence um, develops. But it starts with something that motivates you to get here. Maybe it was um, a book that you read, or maybe it was um, a teacher that you heard give a talk or maybe um, uh, a friend who you've seen grow and saying, this has really made a difference in my life. Or maybe it was some experience that woke you up that said, I want to look for answers. I want to find answers in my life. And you came across uh, uh, teachings like this and said, this sounds like it really speaks to me. And the initial thing that gets you here is some kind of inspiration. In the beginning, often it can be a bright inspiration. You hear a teacher, you you see the Dalai Lama, or you hear a, a, a talk by somebody and it just hits you and say, wow. I remember this is true for me when I first got exposed to these teachings. It was in 1974 in uh, Naropa, the first summer of Naropa. Uh, It was called Naropa Institute then. And um, I went to um, listen to um, Joseph Goldstein, who's been my main teacher and also uh, an inspiration for many people. And he had just come back from from, uh, seven years in, Uh, Asia practicing. And uh, I was told, uh, go check this guy out. He's pretty good. And I sat in that class and uh, the first few minutes I was kind of checking him out. He didn't look very spiritual to me. He didn't have long flowing locks, and uh, he he sounded like he was from New York, like I was. He sounded like he was from Brooklyn, I was from Queens, and saying, so this is the great meditation teacher, just a couple of years older than than I was. But after about ten minutes of that kind of thought, I listened to what he had to say, and there was something in the way he said it that just... I knew that he knew something that I wanted to learn. And he was saying, it's possible to not be run by your neurotic thought patterns, which had never crossed my mind before. But the way he was saying it really impacted me. And I had a lot of suffering within myself, although it looked like my life was pretty gone the outside. I had a lot of insecurity, and um, was um, very, um, very shy and um, kind of cynical, not thinking that things would work out. And so I was looking for something and I was very ripe and he was saying, this is a path that can lead to real peace and freedom. And because I was having my own internal struggles, I was really motivated and I said, I'm going for it. That is sometimes called bright faith when somebody inspires you and you just can be on fire sometimes. Just think for a moment as I share. Maybe go inside for a moment and see who's inspired you or what has touched you that made you sign up for this retreat especially if it was your it's your first one something has touched you that you can't ignore that's precious that's your spark of inspiration okay you can open your eyes by the way, it's a little warm in here. Can we open up some, some uh, windows? Is it stuffy? Yeah, I am. Thanks. So that that's what first uh, gets us on a path. Or maybe it's, it doesn't have to be a mind-blowing experience, but maybe it's just a friend who seems to be a little bit calmer and saying, this is really good stuff and it makes you curious and that's all that's needed something that sparks you bright faith can be very inspiring and it is the antidote to doubt and doubt comes up like if you had that thought what am i doing here you know the more you are getting in touch with that that place that says, oh, I want to learn, I want to grow. That's what starts the 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 process. Uh, for me, I'm just thinking of another inspiration. When I first heard the words of the Buddha that said, if it were not possible to free the mind of greed, hatred, and delusion, I would not tell you to do so. But it is possible, and this is why I teach. And when I... When I got that, he's saying, oh, this is really possible. Okay, I'm going to see. So that starts, but doubt comes to everyone. Doubt came to the Buddha just before he was enlightened. That was the last thing that Mara would throw at him. Who do you think you are? What makes you think you have a right to be enlightened? And the Buddha touches The the ground, the hand down on the ground, like in that statue, as the earth is my witness for all the, the practice and time that I've put into this journey, I have a right to be here. And that's just before the moment he's enlightened. Doubt came to Jesus on the cross, you know, God, why hast thou forsaken me? So if you find that you have some doubt, you're in good company, don't don't worry about it but something keeps you in this process and the more you do it for yourself the more you see oh it really works and there's more of a trust in this process then it becomes verified faith what's called verified faith where you know for yourself that this stuff really works and the more you practice it, the more it becomes a lived, embodied faith, until finally it becomes uh, unshakable faith. I want to share with you a, a letter from uh, a yogi. This is on uh, this uh, last this, yeah last uh, two month retreat, somebody who'd been practicing for some time, and she had a lot of um, struggles in her own practice and a lot of doubts over in her over time but she at some point turned the corner into this verified faith and this is a letter that she wrote and she sent to me it was a letter to her future self listen to this letter to my future self I'm so glad that she shared this with me it's one of my favorite testimonies dear future me Caught in resistance, boredom, doubt, or self-doubt, etc., etc. I know it may not seem this way right now, but it's worth it. Really, really worth it. And it's working. And you're not doing it all wrong. In fact, you can't really not do it right. Your intention is powerful. Even if you may not recognize it at the moment, Sometimes it goes a bit undercover. But believe me, it's there and that's all that matters. You're doing great and you're wonderful. And I love you. And I'm so grateful that you're doing this. And I'm right there beside you with a lot of faith and compassion. Lean on it whenever you need it. All will be well. There's only one direction this can go. that's verified faith and we can forget so it's not a any any source of shame or or defeat you just have to remember what really touches you and what's inspired you so faith or trust in the process not that everything is going to work out but more trust in the awareness that the awareness can meet the moment the more you develop that confidence and awareness leads to effort. The effort and the energy that it takes to do this practice because it does require a kind of commitment and energy and it's the effort to be mindful. Not to do uh, to have some kind of cosmic experience, or to make anything happen, or get rid of anything, but just the effort to be here for our experience. And I wanted to share a bit about effort, which is such a a crucial uh, quality of heart, because. It takes effort to be here. You've probably seen how easy it is to slip off the moment. You try your, your darndest and boom, you're gone, okay. It's humbling, isn't it? But the only thing that you need to do is every time you see you've gone, to bring yourself back. That's it. Like it was mentioned, training a puppy dog to stay on some paper You don't scold it. You don't um, uh, uh, get angry with it. You just bring it back each time. Come on back. Here it is. And rather than equating our effort by what our meditation looks like at any time, the results, whatever you experience, will change. So, It's not to arrive at some magical destination, as I've said. It's simply the effort to be here, and when you're here, to not miss it. That's it. To be here in a very um, present and interested way. And the key that I find to effort is Not trying really super hard, but rather coming from a sincerity of heart and seeing what is needed in this moment to show up. Because your energy is fluctuating like everything else. It comes and goes. And if you are really um, trying too hard, then wise effort might mean just relaxing a bit, lightening up. And if it's too laid back, it might be revving up the intention and commitment. Because it does take effort to be here, but once you're here, any extra effort to make more of the moment gets in the way. There's a a famous story of the Buddha... um, encountering this uh, this fellow who became a monk who was trying so hard to practice and he was just getting more and more caught up, wound up in knots and he said, this isn't working and the Buddha uh, remembered, he said, weren't you a musician before you took the robes and the fellow said, yes, he said, what did you play and the, the man said, oh, I played the lute and the Buddha said, well, let me ask you, what happened when you turned the 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 strings on the lute uh too tight? He said, Oh, you didn't get the right note. It was too high. He said, Okay. What happened when you made the ling uh, the, the strings of the lute uh too lax? Oh, it was not the right pitch, it was too low. He said, just the right way, my friend. With this practice, you need to find the balance of effort, not too tight, not too loose, and then the practice will unfold. One axiom that I have for myself that I want to share with you, struggling is extra. You don't get any bonus points for struggling. As much as you might have a strong intention to do it right, when you are too tight, then the whole practice becomes a battle. And so you want to have enough connection but an ease at the same time. Because as it turns out, relaxation is as important a quality as strong intention. Relaxation doesn't mean laziness, it's very different, it's not lazy. It means finding the right amount of energy that will help you be here and not get tight. And really the key to that, I find, is the word sincerity sincerity of heart. Much more than um, than what it looks like from the outside. Just seeing to yourself, what do I need right now to make a, a balanced, connected effort to be with my experience? Too tight? Soften. Too loose? Turn up the commitment. This is a, another note from a yogi number of years ago. He said, It is indeed a huge relief to realize that I'm not in charge of my thoughts, that they come completely unbidden. It's also a relief to know I'm not in charge of my moments of awareness. These two are indeed just beautiful gifts. I think I've been laboring under the assumption that by sheer effort of will I could manufacture awareness and that the only reason it wasn't happening was because of laziness, weak brain power, lack of dedication, etc., etc. So this shift of emphasis towards faith and sincerity of heart, letting the process evolve at its own speed, in its own direction, has made me incredibly happy and at ease." Energy changes and effort will change depending upon uh, where your energy is at. So the key question is just asking yourself, what do I need? to really show up in this moment. It might mean going for a walk and just um, relaxing a bit. It might mean going in and really bringing your whole heart to the practice. Only you know, but to really be honest with yourself and know that what I'm doing, I'm doing because this will support my being here. So the effort is the effort, as I said, to be mindful. The third faculty, quality of mind and heart. Mindfulness, sati, as it's called in Pali. We've spoken about mindfulness a lot already. And certainly, I don't think anybody here is new to the the word mindfulness especially in these last years when there's been a mindful revolution you know cover of Time magazine actually there was a new a new cover just uh, just recently kind of like a re uh, reissuing the mindful revolution and it's been kind of extraordinary you know when when I first got into this. You know many years ago it was like uh, you know a counterculture kind of a thing now it is the culture and it's that way because there's so much research whether it's in in schools or in health or in uh, in the workforce that's why all these Silicon Valley companies have mindfulness programs because it'll make you that much more efficient so you can put in 80 hours a week and not get so stressed out or as stressed out Mm -hmm. why do you think they do it because they know that it works Mm -mm. they forgot about the balance part often but you know that's up to people to discover for themselves or in the uh, in the uh, criminal justice system, throughout society, and so many different studies, thousands and thousands and thousands of studies. If you Google benefits of mindfulness, there's something, I think the last time I saw it was like 14 million uh, <laughs> Google hits, something like that. Um, because it works. The Buddha said this in his famous discourse on the mindf- practice of mindfulness, the Satipatthana Sutta, which all of this stuff is based on. He says, There is a most direct way, there is a most direct way to overcome sorrow, lamentation, and grief, despair pain and anxiety and realize the highest happiness possible. That is the establishment of mindfulness. That's a pretty amazing statement. All of those things just from being mindful. And in some ways, that's his great gift that he discovered this simple little practice that transforms everything. Let me share a little bit about how mindfulness works. First of all, just to agree on what it means, mindfulness is simply knowing what's happening in this moment, without grasping at the pleasant or pushing away the unpleasant or taking ownership of experience. My anger, my love, my confusion, my knee, my whatever. We'll get to that as as, uh, the talk and as the retreat goes on. But basically, to know what's happening right now without grasping or pushing away, just knowing here in a non judging way. It's very, very simple, but very profound because it has the quality of weakening all the states of confusion and suffering and strengthening. All the states of well being and happiness. Just to give you an example of how mindfulness works, okay, do this. Put your hand out in front of you, okay, and very simply move it back and forth slowly. And now, as you're doing it, close your eyes and put all your attention on moving your hand right now is there any fear is there any worry is there any confusion just feel your hand moving any yesterday or tomorrow is just being with the movement okay you can open your eyes congratulations, you were just mindful. And in that moment, you weren't lost in your stories or thoughts or fears or issues. You were just connected in a very balanced way. And there was a sense of ease. Did you need to add something to make it a better moment? Or think, oh, if I only weren't doing this, I'd be happier. Maybe you did if your arm got tired, I don't know, but generally you're just there and there's a balance of mind that is quite restful and connected to your life. Isn't that amazing? And that's the same whether you're feeling the breath come in and out, or hearing a sound, or feeling a sensation in your body, or even feeling an emotion whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, or feeling or knowing that thoughts are coming and going. Oh, this is what's happening right now. Here's another little exercise, okay? Uh, Close your eyes, and think of somebody or something that stirs up some feelings, and have an image of them, or the situation. Just let it be here. Now become aware that you're sitting in a room with a whole lot of other people, and we're all just making pictures in our minds. Here we are just making pictures. Okay, you can open your eyes. Do you notice the difference between being in the movie and knowing, oh, mind was just creating a story? Most of the time, our minds create stories and we are right in the middle of the movie. But any moment that you realize, oh, look at what my mind has done, you are completely diffusing the power over it makes me uh, let's see I wanted to read a passage that 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 really shows this um, from my dear friend uh, Sylvia Borstein. I, I wrote about this in in uh, my book uh, Sylvia, who many of you know is a beloved teacher here and and uh, she was um, talking about explaining how mindfulness works. And she was talking about how she was visiting a friend in New York, and she had arranged to meet them for, uh, to go to the theater. Um, and uh, she decided to take a bus to get there. <clears throat> and uh, she says, as the bus crept along through the heavy traffic, she started worrying and said, oh, I'm going to be late, I'll miss the curtain." My friend will worry about what happened to me. I shouldn't have taken the bus. The subway would have been so much faster. And figuring she could walk faster than the bus was going, she got off, and then she says, and of course, as I'm walking, the bus passes me by. And now I'm thinking, I should have taken a cab. Now, she says, she's been meditating for many years, but she, as she puts it, she's been fretting for much longer than that. And so it was easy for her to get into that reaction. And she continues the story. She says, as she describes running down Broadway um, in high heels with a cold wind whipping around her, and then she suddenly thinks, all of a sudden, I have a thought, oh, what am I doing? Oh, I'm grumbling. That's a moment of mindfulness. Up until then, I was caught up in a habit-driven narrative, an editorial comment about what was happening, but the moment at which the mind says, Oh, Sylvia dear, you're grumbling," The lens switches, and suddenly the truth of that moment is, I'm a 71-year-old woman running down Broadway in the middle of winter in high heels. That is far out. (laughs) That is... Is an extremely fortunate thing to be able to do. It changed everything. I felt proud, and I actually hoped a lot of people saw me. <laughs> In just a moment, it's like, oh, oh, to, oh you're grumbling, dear. Oh, it's okay. Mindfulness isn't necessarily about changing anything. It's about having a different relationship with your experience. And if you can have a sense of humor, that's really good, as I said in one of the groups today. Then you're in on the joke instead of the butt of the joke. Instead of thinking, you know, oh my God, look at this pathetic mind. It's, wow, look at the mind do its thing. So... This is mindfulness, and it has many different lenses. Sometimes it will be a very narrow focus, a very fine subtlety-noticing experience. And other times it will be more panoramic and just seeing, oh, this is um, uh, a moment of confusion. That's what's going on that moment of mindfulness is just as potent a moment as noticing the subtle hair follicles in your nose swing in the breeze it's just another moment of mindfulness and so there's different lenses it doesn't look any one way and you can be mindful of the breath and the body you can be mindful of Uh, emotions, you can be mindful of thoughts, you can be mindful of sounds, you can be mindful of anything. And every moment of mindfulness counts. That's one of the main inspirations for me, realizing every single moment of mindfulness I'm weakening the habits of greed, hatred, delusion, and cultivating the qualities of generosity kindness and wisdom. So, mindfulness. One thing mindfulness isn't, and I'll share with this right now when I think about it, is figuring out. This came up a couple of times in the group today. Mindfulness is not figuring out. And here's another letter from a yogi on her first retreat when she was she kept on trying to come up with answers and I gently said a number of times you don't have to figure it out and then towards the end of the retreat she wrote this note the one thing that is now indelibly in my brain is finally getting you don't have to figure it out that would never have registered as an option before just today I was doing walking meditation struggling as my thoughts we were going round and round, and those words came into my mind, you don't have to figure it out. I stopped, and I closed my eyes and asked myself, what is true right now in this moment? And what was true was the rising and falling of my breath and various body sensations coming and going, and I thought to myself, the rest will balance itself out in its own time. And I resumed my walking. What a revelation! You don't have to figure it out. So, the effort to be mindful leads to the next of the faculties, which is concentration. Concentration, which is a key in this process... <clears throat> Concentration does not come from great effort, does not come from um, bullying your way through the meditation. Concentration, the key, I think, is being interested, just being interested, and having moments of mindfulness build on each other. Here is the key to concentration. You listening? Continuity is what develops concentration. One moment followed by another moment followed by another moment it's stringing moments of mindfulness together to the point where they start to build a certain momentum and at the beginning as one teacher used to say he thought of it as manual labor just coming back okay I'll come back to the moment Um, but after a while it's really fun being here in the present moment. And these first few days, I sh- maybe, f- maybe fun, it's often fun. It's rich being in the present moment. Because this is where life is happening. And although the first couple of days take some intention, as you string those moments together, you will start to kick over the engine, and take off. So continuity is the key. And that means whatever you're doing, whether it's going from sitting to walking, not to wait until you get to the walking to be mindful. I, I once went to a... I was on a long retreat with this Burmese master who... Uh, gave three hour-long talks on three consecutive nights about the moment that the meditation ends and you hear the bell ring, the process of getting up and going to your walking meditation. Three hours he spent on it. He wanted to get the point across of continuity. You don't have to be that... But every moment counts. And so it's usually in those in-between moments that we tend to drift off. And if you can make tying your shoes and putting on your jacket or brushing your teeth or cleaning your dishes as just as sacred a moment as being here in the hall and feeling your breath, that's real great practice and so you might take a chunk of time a morning or an afternoon without breaks you know unless you have to use the the restroom just see what it's like to sit and walk and sit and walk and if you have that kind of interest and it's really about interest oh this is a moment of my life um those moments of mindfulness keep on building and that develops, keeps the whole practice unfolding. Here's a, a little way to understand this. Um, mm, there's an image that's often given of putting a tea kettle on to boil. If you put it on and take it off every 30 seconds or so, it's not gonna cook, right? Mm, boiled yet? No, not yet. Yeah. Is it? No, it's still not ready, okay. But if you leave it on, even if the flame is low sometimes, you leave it on and it'll cook after a while. And it's the same way with the practice. Joseph Goldstein used to talk about NPMs. This kind of was an inspiration to me. I'll just throw it out to you. NPMs, noticings per minute. (laughs) And you make it like a game. I said this in in the the hall uh, this afternoon. If you make it like a game, you're just kind of challenging yourself. Oh, let's see how present I can be. Whoops, okay, I got lost. Come on back. It's okay. But if you get into the idea, oh, every moment counts, and then the whole day becomes a dance, instead of needing to pounce on top of the experience, oh, there's this moment, now this moment, Oh, it's now going to the bathroom moment now it's washing my hands moment now it's going back into walking every moment counts and that's how concentration gets developed and every time you see you've gone to come back in a very loving gentle way that's really all you can do one uh, very profound moment I remember exactly where I was up in Santa Rosa on a retreat I was sitting it occurred to me I have no control over how mindful or concentrated I am in any given moment I can you ever try to sit down and say I'm gonna be mindful if it kills me it might if you have that attitude you know but what I do have is the intention to be here and the intention to come back each time I've gone. That's how concentration gets developed, in a very interested, yet at ease kind of an attitude. And that concentration leads to the last quality, wisdom. Okay, so faith or trust leading to the effort to be mindful, moments of mindfulness leading to a concentrated mindfulness, leading to wisdom. Okay. So, what is wisdom? There are many levels of how this practice leads to wisdom. Sometimes there are insights into our life that we never understood before that just are a revelation. Oh, huh. this is called insight meditation. Because when there's enough spaciousness and clarity of mind, then life reveals itself to us. And so that's one level where you start to understand things in a new way. and. Beyond the personal, there are deeper, more profound truths that even are beyond my personal story. Particularly three insights that are called the three marks or characteristics of existence. That the more one understands, the more there is freedom and peace. One everything changes. Now this might not seem like news to you, but to really embody it, to really understand the truth of impermanence, anicca in Pali, is very profound because when you're going through a really hard time, if you realize and remember everything changes, you're not feeling that you're stuck. Oh, let me show up and see what I can learn in this. And when things are going swimmingly well, it's important to remember everything changes. And so rather than scratching your head saying, what did I do to blow it, realizing that, as I said, Uh, last night this is about learning to be here for the ride instead of trying to make some magical experience happen that's the first thing you take a look and see for yourself how many different thoughts have you had today how many different sensations have you had today how many different moods have you gone through today Have you noticed how things change? This is not just a theoretical kind of a thing. This is what the meditation shows. One moment after another after another. Second characteristic, because everything changes, trying to hold on to changing experience is a setup for suffering. Dukkha. D-U-K-K-H-A in the teachings. Dukkha. And that is the more we try to control experience or hold on, grasp experience, get attached to things, the more we suffer. And the more you understand how things change, the more you are able to be in the flow rather than trying to control. There's many other levels of, of this, but... I'll just leave it at this for now. And the the third, the third deep understanding of wisdom is seeing that you too are this changing flow of experience. That you are not separate from everything else that is in the flow of experience. And there is no one fixed static place that is the essence of you that you can point to and say, ah, that's me. You are a flow of experience and when you see that, then the sense of separation starts to dissolve. Here's a simple way I'll just point to this that I, I find very helpful. Just uh, try this. Close your eyes for a moment. And usually we think of ourselves as a noun, as somebody, something. And first think of yourself as a noun. Yes, I am me. To whom life happens. And now just shift for a moment and think of yourself as a verb, think of yourself as a field of activity of life moving through you with all its sensations and thoughts and feelings and biological systems, circulatory and digestive and nervous system and all of those things, you are life in continual flux, in this pattern called you, but you are a verb as well as a noun. And that starts to reveal the selfless nature of experience. You can open your eyes if you'd like. The selfless nature of experience, that life isn't just happening to you, it's happening through you, or as you. And that starts to shift things, rather than feeling separate, you are part of it all. So this is very much revealed in the meditation as you pay attention again and again. You see this process of life over and over and you don't feel quite as Solid. You can play the game of being you without taking it quite so seriously. So, this is um, the revealing of the wisdom of impermanence and suffering or the suffering unsatisfactory nature of existence and the selfless nature of reality. So this is what we're doing here faith or trust that gets us here leading to the effort to put in your time and intention to being mindful. Mindfulness, moments of mindfulness leading to a concentrated breaking through of seeing things as we usually do into a deep wisdom that leads to freedom, and every moment of mindfulness counts. So let's share a few moments right now. Nothing to fix or change, just open to this moment as it is. Thank you for your attention. So we have uh, just under half an hour for walking. And uh, then we'll come back for a last sitting. And since we didn't do uh, a loving kindness uh, yet today, we'll do a little bit um, for that uh, last closing sitting for the day.